Good morning, everybody. You're listening to the Total Bases Podcast, and uh, I am your host, Austin Spiro. I have no Felipe with me this this week. Felipe is going to take a couple weeks break, but you know what? The young bucks, as he would say, are taking over. As it is me and my co-host Sean Flannery. Sean, how you doing? Awesome. And you know, Felipe's done a lot of hard work, and you know he is a dad, and so we're gonna we're gonna give him a little spell here. You know, he's got to hit the hit the pine, maybe do some work in the cage. You know, before he can get back on the uh, back in the batter's box. Yeah, or or as we were saying, he can sit on his rocking chair until all the kids get off the phone. <laughs> that Nick Madrigal can't hit for any sort of power. Granted, <laughs> it's why I had to call him out this week in the Baseball Life Facebook group, which if you haven't joined, be sure to join it. Lots of fun discussions. You know, it, it's the best baseball group on Facebook. But uh, uh, after Nico Horner hit that opening day home run, uh, it was a barrel. Nico Horner only had two barrels all last year and he has one of the first game. And I said, Felipe, Nico Horner is slappy with a capital S. And I mean, <laughs> it was off Corbin Burns who only gave up like, I think six home, seven home runs all last season. And when he won the Cy Young. So uh, I thought that was an exciting little start and, you know, a random stat. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. I think, you I know, think, just I, yeah. some of the weird things that have happened in this early season that we weren't really expecting. Yeah. Yeah. Things we uh, weren't really expecting. We're going to talk about some, uh, maybe some opening day sleepers. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about uh, the new, new players on new teams and how they're doing so far. Um, and we'll talk about the ridiculous small sample size stats that uh that you have at the beginning of the year uh before we get into that though you you did a little traveling and did some uh fantasy mock drafts how'd that go yeah so um uh, i am officially a part of the uh earth fantasy leagues which is a collection of individual leagues from all across the u.s guys like eno saris justin mason all participate eric cross all participate in earth uh, and it's done regionally. So ours is the, the Southeast region, which we have dubbed the Waffle House area Roto Fantasy. Ah. So <laughs> our league acronym is WARF. Um, and we met all, all met up in Atlanta at a, a good time drafting. There was about 10, 11 out of the 15 uh, in the league. So excited to see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's pretty cool there. Uh, so uh, we I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. What did you uh, did you did you get a chance to watch the or listen to the uh, the draft recaps and uh, what? what did I, you I caught a little bit of last week's or not last week's two weeks ago, yeah. but not last week I was so busy traveling up with family, so uh, okay. I, I missed that one. Yeah, it's all right. There'll be a there'll be plenty of recaps and uh, and stuff. So you'll you'll probably get very familiar with all of our teams. Uh, j- just so you know, and I'm gonna keep hammering him about this. Larry tried to trade me Jordan Alvarez and Bo- and Bo Bichette for Nick Castellanos. Oh, I would have I would have done it, except most people were gonna veto the trade. <laughs> 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 oh boy we've been gotta we've been love vetoes we've been hammering him about it for so w- which league is that the espn one that you guys yeah, yeah okay. the new one the new yeah. espn league so anyway <laughs> larry's in the comments and all i see all i see pull up is come on man <laughs> <laughs> all right so let, let's get let's get with the show so no um no opening day um series have finished yet um, but I figured we uh, let's start off with opening day starters. So people, players that were on the opening day lineup that could be that we didn't expect, but could be sleepers either in real life, in real life baseball or in fantasy. Um, I'm sure Sean, you have a few pulled up. I have a few pulled up as well. Um, maybe we can go one for one or, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll, sure. how, how with time why don't you start um one one person that you saw on the on the opening day lineups that you were surprised at that could be a sleeper either fantasy or real life well opening day this guy he batted in the bottom half of the order uh he's a guy that we've talked about before i'm super excited to have him on several teams and that's steven kwan but what surprised me was a lot of fantasy analysts we're all talking like hyping up steven kwan like this guy can hit he has the contact ability, and I was saying this yesterday, contact ability of Jeff McNeil with the eye of Brandon Nimmo. I mean, it, it's like the two craziest things. He already has three walks, had two walks opening day, 
which led to Terry Francona lifting uh, Quan from the seventh spot in the batting order to second, which makes him very fantasy relevant because the guy in front of him is Miles Straw, who, of course, we love. And the guy yeah. behind him is Jose Ramirez. And the guy behind that guy is Fred Mill Reyes. And if Stephen Kwan's going to have like a 370, 380 on base and hit 300 and behind Miles Straw, like this, this is an actual piece. But it was so funny because everyone's like, Stephen Kwan will be batting the top third by Ju- June ju- or July. And game two, Terry Francona's like, nah, he's up there now. And I was so <laughs> hyped like when they announced it because they, had just announced the Miles Straw extension. And then Stephen Kwan, they released the batting order, was batting second. I was so hype at work yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's so funny because I remember researching him for the fantasy. And and uh I remember when I was when I was researching him, they were pretty much like, ah, he's def- he's a little more defensive. He's got a bat, but he's a little more defensive. And then all of a sudden I'm looking at some of these offensive numbers of his, and I'm like, this is a defensive guy. I don't, not quite sure if this is, is this just, is this just a fluke or what do you think? I mean, Fangraphs doesn't give out 80 great hit tools every day. I, I think there's a, been a, a grand total of three of those, like in my lifetime. And that was Vlad and Wander. And that's all in the last three, three, four years. So uh, he, he did have an extra base hit yesterday, another walk. Um, so I, I really do think he's just going to be an on-base machine. And I, I think that Cleveland team, everyone said, oh, they're they're piling it in. You know, they're just going to tank this year. But, you know, they, they extended Jose Ramirez. Yeah. They extend Emmanuel Classe. They extend Miles Straw. They're building a nice little core here. And in the minors, Daniel Espino, one of their top pitching prospects, and a guy who's probably my top pitching prospect in baseball, uh, struck out, I believe, nine of his 12 outs and struck out eight of the first nine. He did give up two solo shots, but he was topping out at 101. I mean, and this is opening day in in double A, and he's, I think, 19 years old, 20 years old. So uh, they have a lot of pieces coming up. I think people could be sleeping on Cleveland this year, and I think they could sneak into the playoffs. Mm, Okay. All right. That's that's interesting because I remember in the prediction show last I, I, I think I have them third. Yeah, you had them third. You had the twins. Yeah, I have the twins right in front of them. But I I think with the Stephen Kwan, like, actually, I thought he was going to be stuck. He, they were barely going to play him. He was going to be like a fourth outfielder. But my hope is renewed for the – oh, I, I've been calling them the Indians, the Cleveland Guardians. I'm so sorry. But, yeah, <laughs> there we go. I have renewed hope for the Cleveland Guardians. All right. All right, two games in, and uh, he's already he's already hyped about the Guardians. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought I'd say that phrase. <laughs> uh, all right, so there we go. The first one is Stephen Kwan. So are you saying in fantasy lineups, go pick up Stephen Kwan? Or yeah, if Stephen playing? Kwan is available. Um, I mean, in, if you're only like a three outfielder league, then like three outfield, 12 team, maybe not. Like he could be a bench guy. But if you have five outfielders, I, I think he's a guy who could legitimately win a batting title, and he's going to post a lot of runs, maybe a good amount of RBIs too, because not only is Miles Straw batting first, but they've been batting a lot of uh, Andres Jimenez, like eight and nine. So a good amount of speed and on base in front of him too that he can knock in and maybe get about 60, 70 RBIs. In uh, in CBS League, Stephen Kwan is rostered by seventeen percent of wow. rosters and that, is starting six percent of them. Yeah, that that needs the roster percentage definitely needs to go up. In shallow leagues, you might have a hard time starting him, but like I said, like he's going to get you fifteen ish stolen bases, bat three hundred plus, maybe fifteen ten to fifteen home runs. I mean, it's definitely a the sum is greater than all the the parts. Right. All right. I guess we'll go with mine. Uh, yeah. I have a few. I have like three that I that I looked up, but the one that I'm going to pick right now is uh, I think this might be more of a homer pick than anything. It is going to be an angel, but um, I did not expect this guy. I, I expected him to get pulled up this year, but I didn't expect him to to even make the 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 roster or the opening day roster. And the reason why was because they had Justin Upton. And then when they when they uh, designated him for assignment, he was the next guy up, and I was really happy to see see it. But his uh, his spring training, 
He had he played in 16 spring training games and had a slash line of 286, 302, and a 530 and 538 with three homers and four stolen bases. I'm talking about the number one prospect in the Angels system, Brandon Marsh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Brandon Marsh is going to be really, really interesting. And it was so funny. Somebody said it in the baseball life group, and somebody was like, Brandon Marsh is the Angels' Justin Turner with all of his facial hair. <laughs> he's got the uh the the gnome thing going, you know. Yeah, he's got he's got the yeti beard going. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a, it's it's big. He's got that man's got a lot of hair. Um you know, I I don't think he's going to supply I think he'll supply some good power especially down at the bottom of the lineup. Um and he, obviously he's going to steal some bags. He's got some wheels on him and I mean he's the number one prospect and he's t- and he's one of the top 100 prospects in the system. In, in the pipeline. So, or he was former and he, he doesn't qualify anymore, but I think Brandon Marsh could be a good, a good pickup maybe later in the season as he gets some playoff time or as he gets some playing time, you know, and now that Justin Upton's out of the way, he's going to get some more playoff time um, uh, out there with Joe Adele. And he doesn't have as much pressure on him with Shohei Otani, Anthony Rendon, Mike Trout, you know, they have other bats in the lineup, so they're not worried about Brandon Marsh. So I think Brandon Marsh might wake up a little bit and become a little bit of a fantasy-relevant player. I think the thing that's going to be against him is he's going to be at the bottom of the lineup. Um, he's not going to be necessarily closer to the top. But I think, you know, if you're looking for a stolen base pickup or maybe, you know, you need a little bit more support in home runs, you could get you could grab Brandon Marsh. What do you think about the Brandon Marsh pick? I, I feel like Marsh is a guy who might be a better real-life player than fantasy player, but he definitely has the tools to be an impact fantasy player because of that speed. The defense will keep him on the field, uh, which is, you know, we don't really talk about de- – we mentioned this probably every few months, but defense normally doesn't get counted in fantasy. Um, right. But the way that we do count it in fantasy is if you're a good defender, you're less likely to come off the field. The less like you, likely you are to come off the field – the more at bats, the more plate appearances. And with all of those, you get more home runs, you get more stolen bases. So it, it is an important part to keep track of. And Brandon Marsh definitely has the tools or else he wouldn't have been ranked a, such a high prospect in the minors. And really, you know, pro- high prospects come up all the time and they struggle. And that was what Brandon Marsh kind of was last year. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does this year as well. I think so too. So, uh, do you have another? You have another sleeper? Over I, there? I I do, and oh. this one came just a day or so, you know, right before opening day. Um, I'm not sure if you guys hit on it last weekend or because I think it was yeah, it was on Monday. So you guys might have talked about it on the predictions show. But the move the Tampa Bay Rays made by trading Austin Meadows to the Tigers opened up playing time for a guy who had already been optioned to the minors. Uh, they called him back up after the Meadows trade, and that's Josh uh, Lowe, who it, it is actually Lowe. Don't, people are going to say, no, it's Lau. No, I, I watched Josh Lowe for the entire 2019 season, and he was a guy who kind of reminded me of Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson in the minors, you know, had stolen base potential. He had power potential. He had a great arm in the outfield, and he just – looked like a baseball player. I I know I hate when people say that. They're like, oh, I look at that guy. That's a baseball player. But that was exactly how I felt (laughs) about Josh Lowe. And uh, I'm going to credit a couple of these people that I saw their tweets yesterday. And, of course, right as I try and pull it up, they go away. But um, Danny Russell, um, I think he's a beat reporter. I know uh, he just does a race show. But uh, he said, Josh Lowe is a major leaguer. Five of his six plate appearances have gone to a full count, and he has a triple and a single all hustle. And then somebody broke it down even further that he, in those six plate appearances, has seen 42 pitches. Damn. And he was a guy who, in the when I saw him in double-A, yeah, five of the six have gone to 3-2, averaging seven pitches per plate appearance. Single, triple, and two walks, 42 total pitches um, found. And that's from Darby Robinson. I want to give these guys credit because, you know, it's kind of good analysis. But Josh Lowe is a guy who maybe struck out a little bit too much, but he was increasing his walk rate. And when you see guys trying to increase their walk rate, usually see a slight increase in strikeouts because you're getting into deeper counts. And the deeper the counts you get into, the more likely you are to both walk and strike out. But uh, 
when they traded Meadows, I mean, that that reopened the door for Lowe to make the opening day roster. And now that Tampa team is really just great defense. They they had a at the end of the game yesterday, someone said this might be the best def- uh, team defense in roster history, organizational history. They had Taylor Walls, who's a shortstop infield utility infielder at third, Franco at second, Lau or Franco at the short, Lau at second, it, Troy at first. Uh, Zanino was behind the plate, and then left to right was, uh, I believe, Low, Kiermeyer, and Margot. And I'm like, holy hell, that entire outfield is like gold glove caliber. Yep. The infield is great. Zanino's a gold glover. And uh, I mean, that's what these teams do. Like, good teams find what other people aren't valuing as much, or you know, and that's the Rays right now. The, the A's were doing it for several years with defense with guys like Matt Chapman. Uh, Matt Olson and Ramon Laureano. So maybe that is the market inefficiency of the league right now is kind of good defense. Yeah. And then uh, the Rays have found it. I mean, I think, I think that's true. I mean, you're seeing the uptick in um, they want more home runs, more power. And usually with more power comes bad defense because normally it's the big lumbering guys that don't move as well. No. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that's a, I think that's an accurate assessment. Um, Felipe is in the comments. So whoa, whoa. Whoa. He's, sit- he's sitting on his rocking chair out on the porch and uh, commenting on the show, apparently. And you, <laughs> mentioned, you mentioned two of the players that he has on his fantasy team, both Stephen Kwan and Josh Lowe. He says, my team is so deep. I had to choose between Kwan or Josh. How Lowe. deep is it? <laughs> <laughs> I chose Lowe. I understood the risks of making this decision. That was right when you were talking about Stephen Kwan. And now you're talking about Josh Lowe. So, you know, there you go. All yeah, I, I want to say James James came to me and he was like, yeah, Felipe dropped Stephen Kwan. I have no clue why he would do that. Because, you know, I, I've been filling James's ears with how great Stephen Kwan is. He likes to listen to me. That makes me feel good. And he was like, <laughs> why would he drop Stephen Kwan? I was like, I, I don't know. Felipe's doing his thing. And uh, he's like, I picked him up. And I was like, that was smart. <laughs> that was smart. Good, good, good pickup. That was smart. Nice job, James. Uh, I, I, I got, well, I have two, but I think, I think one is because it's Seth beer and he homered on national beer day. And you know, that was fun. That, that was a, that was a fun one. That was really fun. But the other, but the one that I really want to talk about, I think was really interesting. And I didn't know about this guy until I started doing a little bit of research. I'm still trying to up my research on some of these prospects um, because, you know, I'm starting to get a little more serious into fantasy. And I'm sure one of these days, somebody will sucker me into a dynasty league <laughs> and I'll have to figure out, I'll have to figure out, you know, the minors and how to, you know, grade prospects and stuff. So I've started looking this and I started looking this guy up. Somebody asked me about him uh, a few weeks ago and his name just keeps popping up, but I didn't think he was going to make the opening day lineup until I realized that it seems like the Alec Bohm experiment in Philly is pretty much over. Um, they're over Alec Baum and the fact that he doesn't want, he's not hitting as much. And um, so this guy made the opening day lineup uh, I know. and <laughs> he seems to be a pretty, you know, pretty deep, his spring training. He had really good. I know it's spring training, but he mm-hmm. had a really good spring training. His slash line was 419, a 514 OBP and a 581 slugging. I'm talking about Bryson Stote. So Bryson Stote is a shortstop prospect, but they put him over at third. Um, to replace Alec Bohm. Um, he's more of a contact hitting guy, um, if I remember correctly, but he had a pretty decent hit tool. I'm trying to pull up his fan grass page at the moment. Um, but I think this guy, his name keeps popping up, and I feel like sooner or later he's going to be pretty relevant when it comes to fantasy. So his hit tool right now is a 45, but it's expected to go up to a 55. He doesn't have as much power, but um, he's described as lefty hitting shortstops with any kind of pop are rare. So he's got a raw power of 50. Um, Stoke cemented himself as a viable defender there in pro ball. So there again, we're talking about the the defense part of it. So if he's... Um, cemented himself as a viable defender, his hit tool will go up. And with that raw power, we'll see if, if that translates into any sort of fantasy relevance. Uh, what do you think of Bryson Stote? Well, I, I like him and I'm not a hundred percent sure. And you might be right. I might be right here, but I believe it's Stott. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I believe it is Stott. But he reminds me, he was the you know 14th overall pick in 2019. So obviously, you know, if you're getting picked in the first round, the, the first half of the first round, 
Like you, you got to be doing something right uh, from UNLV, which we just seem to see so many pl- good players come out of the Las Vegas, both in high school, college. Uh, this is just a continuation of that. Um, I do agree with he has a lot of potential. Um, I'm not sure if the Bohm experiment is over. I think this is just a way because right now, Didi Gregorius is on the roster. They have to play him. He's getting paid. He's a, a Joe Girardi, you know, one of Joe Girardi's favorites. That's why uh, Didi came to Philly to begin with. Uh, I think they would like to see both Bryson and Bohm in the lineup at the same time. But unless Didi just falls on his face, which I, I don't think he has yet. Uh, but Bryson is definitely a professional hitter. Reminds me a lot of um, another prospect name. Hasn't made the majors yet, but he was a first, I believe, a first round pick for the Braves. Braden Shoemake. Um, they're both the kind of the lefty shortstop, kind of taller, 6'3. I believe uh, Felipe said Corey Richmond. I thought he was going to compare Bryson Stott to Corey Seeger, which is also a good comp as well. So uh, I, I feel like. Uh, Pretty good about Stott. Uh, right now, he's playing out of position. He is a, a shortstop. He's playing. He's platooning third base with Bohm, like you said. Um, but I think the best Phillies team and lineup is with him at short and Bohm at third base and Didi filling in as needed at second or third. Right. All right. Okay. So that's a couple. Uh, that's a couple of people to pay attention to, maybe as the season goes on, or you know, if it's in the case of Stephen Kwan. Apparently go pick him up now. And uh, Felipe, you screwed up. Um, <laughs> well, he told, he told James, uh, he said, good job, James. Nice of you to grab my sloppy seconds, which, you know, our lovely host just, you know, berating, berating listeners and league mates alike. I mean, why not? He does it on the podcast. Might as well do it in the comments. So <laughs> he, he got time to talk, but he ain't got time to record. Come on, Felipe. <laughs> All right, so we're moving from opening day sleepers to people that aren't necessarily sleepers, but they have become uh, they become part of a new team. So we're going to talk about probably. I mean, there's a there's this off season. It was very very busy. There's a lot of changing around, a lot of trades, a lot of free agent signings, a lot of people going to different places. So uh, you know, we can maybe give an update or highlight a couple players that change teams that we uh, that we kind of want to talk about and see how they're doing on their new team. So I figured we could split this between pitchers and hitters since, you know, there's so many of them that have changed. Um, let's start with the hitters. So the ones that I have listed and you could just, you could pick whoever you want, uh, Sean, we've got uh, Tommy Pham going to the Reds. We got Trevor Story, Carlos Correa. We have Larry's man, Larry's dude, Castellanos. We have, I put this guy in there because he is playing pro ball, but he didn't play pro ball in America. I'm talking about Seiya Suzuki. Wow. Um, we've got Chris Bryant, Freddie Freeman, Kyle Schwarber, Jock Peterson, Nelson Cruz, Javier Baez, Corey Seager, Marcus Semien, Eduardo Escobar, Starley Marte, Mark Canna, and Andrew McCutcheon in Milwaukee. Uh, any of those intrigue you on what on how well, you want to talk about? Them? I mean, we've already seen the the two main Phillies acquisitions, Schorber and Castellanos, both are already on the home run board. Uh, I don't think either of them have committed an error, but I think the team as a whole, which uh, is definitely going to be interesting to watch. I, I need to look up what the, the team record for errors is in a, in a season because the Phillies <laughs> might just break it. Uh, they had like two or three on opening day. Um, I said that in the prediction show last week. I was like, that lineup, that offensive lineup is going to be great, but that outfield defense is going to be ass. That's yeah, and be- really, I mean, outfielders don't usually get dinged for a lot of errors because, I mean, you either you get to the ball or you don't, and I think those guys' issues is they just don't get to balls. Yeah. So they'll get dinged more, less so in errors, but more so in the advanced metrics. But guys like Reese Hoskins – like Reese Hoskins should be a DH. Uh, he's gone from playing first base and then they had Santana. So he had to play left field. And of course that went as expected. It was a disaster. And now he's back at first base. He's almost gotten killed like twice. And I think I've watched a grand total of seven outs of a Phillies game. And I think he got almost killed twice on throws, uh, just getting bleeding back into the runner, poor footwork. Uh, he's committed a few errors as well at first base. But uh, like you said, they're going to score a lot of runs. They've, they've already done that. 
Uh, granted, they are playing the A's right now, who are probably the worst team in the American League. Um, so you got you got to bully up. You got to bully the 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 bad teams. That's what good teams do. Um, that's what the Mets are doing to the Nationals. Uh, but I, I, I think there, it's a good ballpark for Castellanos and Schwarber. So expect more of the same in terms of fantasy. You know, expect probably more. But if you're a Phillies fan in real life, uh, don't get your hopes too high. I mean, <laughs> it, it, one, this is Oakland, but in, in two, like uh, uh, the Kyle Gibson had a great, he's another guy who, well, I guess he just traded last year, um, but he had a good start. Nola got left in too long. Wheeler is about to make his debut on Tuesday, I believe. So we'll see how the back end of that rotation and bullpen does uh, before we really give a verdict on the Phillies. Yeah. Um, I think the other one that uh, people are, for whatever reason, they're weirdly excited about. I'm not stoked about this because they still have a lot to do, a lot to work with is the Texas Rangers. Um, So the Texas Rangers made big, um, big moves, big offensive moves. They, they acquired both Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. So when you're looking at Corey Seager, he does, he's not on the home run board yet, but in two games, he has a 500 average, a 556 OBP and a 625 slugging for a weighted runs created plus of 260. So, you know, it was, uh, but, I, it was really fun to, to see like after Thursday night's games, or like when half the league played Thursday, half the league played Friday, and yeah. everyone played one game, and you go back and you look, and there was like people with like a 400 WRC plus, and I was like, ah, my heart is happy. <laughs> and then you realize it just it's just not going to stay there. But yeah, uh, like you said, Corey Seager off to a pretty good start. Uh, the other half of that, the half a billion dollar free agent sp- uh, spree, uh, not so much, and he's not a guy so that I tended to avoid yeah. in fantasy. Yep, I I, uh, I didn't target him in fantasy either. I didn't really target Corey Seager in fantasy either because everybody's saying, oh, they're playing in the Rangers ballpark. The Rangers ballpark is is a hitter's park. No, it's not. It's not as not as much as it is now. Remember, they're in a new stadium, and that, that new stadium plays different. It's more of a pitcher's ballpark now than it was before. So I'm not I'm not entirely sure it's leaning towards a pitcher's ballpark, but it's not a it's not the hitter's ballpark that it was at the Ranger Stadium in Arlington. Um, Marcus Simeon, on the other hand, is in two games. He's batting a cool 125 with a 222 OBP and a 250 slugging for a weighted runs created plus of. 45 so so basically austin hedges for his career (laughs) (laughs) i love austin hedges but damn (laughs) (laughs) so you know half of that uh it seems like the the phillies new acquisitions are doing well whereas only half of the rangers is uh, not doing so well um and i never understood the hype for the rangers i didn't think the rangers were going to make any noise in the al west they still have a lot of work to do that that pitching staff is is It's really something else. I mean, they, they grabbed John Gray, but John Gray is about it when, when it comes to that. I mean, uh, Felipe was talking about it last week. Um, their number to their SB2 is Martin Perez. So, you know, I just, that, that pitching staff is a mess. They ain't going to make any noise in the AOS. They're, they're, they're trying, but they're not making any noise. Um, did, were you one of those that were excited about the Texas Rangers going into this season? I was cautiously optimistic because I think the AL West, is kind of, I, I don't want to say up for grabs because Houston is definitely the favorite and they're showing it three games in. They're having a, a great series at uh, your team's expense. Um, yeah. uh, but you guys won last night, so that that's 2-1 the two, two in the series. Uh, the Astros are 2-1, we're 1-2. Yeah, one, two. yeah. Um, but off the point, yeah, the Rangers I feel like are a team that could maybe sneak into it. You know, it wasn't just Simeon and Seager that they got, but, you know, they went out and got Mitch Garver. Um, they have Nathaniel Lowe, Nate Lowe, Josh Lowe's brother. Uh, I like he, Nate yeah, Lowe. I, I, like, I like Nate Lowe, too. Yeah. And I think he's a guy that last year there was so much pressure on him to be, like, the main run producer. Mm-hmm. And now you bring in Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon. I think Brad Miller is a very underrated signing as a, a platoon bat. And uh, the, the starting staff does need work. But it has the interesting names aside from Martin Perez, which mm, I agree. But I like Taylor Hearn. I like Spencer Howard. Uh, they just they don't have enough right now. And when the bullpen gets healthy, 
um, which they said John Gray is hurt. Did he leave his start? Did he even make a start? John, John, no, John Gray made a start. He pitched four innings. He is hurt. He's oh, blister, be, blister. He's, that's what I'm saying. Expected to be out until the 19th. Okay, gotcha. So that, that's why Martin Perez is now listed as SP two. Um, but they they have some nice bullpen pieces. I think their bullpen is a little slept on, and they have more coming back from. Uh, Tommy John, like Jose Leclerc and Jonathan Hernandez, who were two like pretty fantasy relevant relief pitchers before they went down with Tommy John. And I believe it was, yeah, they were both in 20, uh, 2021. So uh, they're, they're, they're a team and they have some interesting pieces to trade if they want to go out at the deadline and get, you know, a Luis Castillo, which I actually I haven't thought about that now, but I really would like that. You know, they have a top 100 catcher in Sam Huff who is basically a carbon copy of Mitch Garver, huge power, a good amount of strikeouts. Um, but they could definitely move some of these guys and get a legitimate ace to go with uh, Dane Dunning and John Gray. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's so funny that you were talking about Brad Miller and how underrated of a signing he is, because for those of you listeners that don't know, I am a fifth grade elementary school teacher. Um, I, I teach fifth grade and uh, I decided you know, I was like, you know what? We're going to do a class fantasy league because why not? So <laughs> why not put more fantasy baseball on my plate? So I did, uh, I, I grouped the kids into uh, six groups of four. So it's a 16 category league. <laughs> <laughs> and I made, I made, I was so mean. I made them do all kinds of projections and, you know, how they were, uh, how the, kids are or how the players are projected to do it with their scoring system and this and that and the next thing and we had a draft uh, oh goodness last uh, week goodness was, that was, that sounds so chaotic <laughs> it was it was it was very the, all the kids i think all the kids reacted the same way we do in drafts would be like okay you're on the clock and they're like huh, 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 i don't know who to pick <laughs> It was awesome. It's like oh. with a, like in co-manager leagues. Uh, I haven't been in one personally, but I've heard some stories about where usually the two co-managers are on the same page, and then they get to like the third round. They've agreed wholeheartedly on their first two picks, and in the third round, they look at each other and they're like, "I want this guy." The guy's like, "No, we're getting this guy," and then they just sit there and go back and forth, and everyone's like, "Okay, you're on the clock. Hurry up!" And they're just busy yelling at each other. <laughs> and that's how I imagine that going for you. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was quite an experience. And the, the other thing that I noticed that they reacted the same way that uh, we, we would do is like they uh, they'd be like, we'll take Freddie Freeman. And everybody else is like, no, I was going <laughs> to pick him. <laughs> Me too, all, kids. Me too. They were, they were all getting mad at each other. I had one I had one team who wanted to draft Brian Reynolds in the first round because they sounded like ryan reynolds and so <laughs> it's, I mean, that's foolproof logic i i, I yeah. cannot argue with it you know and so and it sounds this, like ryan. <laughs> this kid's and he kept saying i want brian reynolds and so what happened the, these kids are so mean they drafted brian reynolds before the kid before the kid who wanted it who wanted him got to pick it chaos ensued in my classroom. they're like we'll draft brian reynolds and the kid's like oh i wanted him when can we trade <laughs> wow so, i didn't know larry was one of your students <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway one of the players that the that the kids drafted was brad miller and i was like what why are you <laughs> drafting brad miller like and i looked at him i'm like why they were like well i need it I, I i need this i need this position i need an outfielder or first base and there he is he's right there and i'm like whatever sure brad <laughs> miller drafted in a 16 league that's you guys either have some geniuses in that class or some not so geniuses <laughs> that well, should never play fantasy <laughs> yeah right we'll, we'll just have we'll just have to see yeah uh, and and he went in like the third round <laughs> oh the mind of a child <laughs> uh, it was it was awesome there there were some of these they were like let's pick this guy because he has a funny name like whatever sure <laughs> i mean that you can't argue with that logic you know yeah if you're not going to enjoy the players on your team whether it's because they sound like somebody else or their name's funny then what are we even doing here <laughs> i mean Cor uh cory uh cory richmond when we're doing the total bases uh the total bases, uh, the total bases league. He yeah. went 20 rounds of picking anybody that wasn't white. 
that was his strategy. He, uh, was, he was like, I'm just going to pick all non-white players. <laughs> like he was, and he, we were on, we were online and he was like, um, you know, I, I, I have a question. Does, does, does Asian count as white? And, <laughs> and, then, and then he would draft you Darvish. We were like, Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so he, 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 yeah, we we went a little off the rails there, but that was fun. A fifth grade, you know, I, I wish I had a teacher like that. That would have been super fun to have. But we'll try and get back onto the rails here. Yeah, so let's get back onto the rails. So. Let's do let's do pitchers that have changed teams. So some of these pitchers probably haven't um, haven't played yet, um, but you know, I'll just list players. I have one in mind. I want to, I want to see who you, who you want to highlight. Um, so I have both relief pitchers and starters. I have a feeling we'll both lean towards starters. Um, we've got Kenley Jansen, Ryan Tapera, Colin McHugh, Carlos Rodon, um, Mark Melanson, Marcus Stroman, Robbie Ray, Corey Kluber, John Gray, Kevin Gosman, Noah Syndergaard, and Eduardo Rodriguez on, uh, along with Max Scherzer, um, as well. So, uh, anybody you want to highlight from that list or anybody that I didn't mention that you want to highlight? I mean, we can talk about the, the two main, the, the aces that were on the board, uh, that really switch hands last year, you know, Carlos Radone and Max Scherzer both had very good starts. Uh, Radone had a little bit better, didn't give up any earned runs, um, posted just an insane, uh, pitching line yesterday on his uh if i can find him there we go he threw 89 pitches uh 48 swings whiffs on 24 of them so that's a 50 percent whiff rate and that was 10 whiffs on the fastball 13 out of 23 sliders that got swings were whiffs and then he got one whiff on two swings of his curveball which he barely threw um granted he is playing the marlins the velocity which was the main thing we were all worried about carlos rodone was Last year when he started off, he was great, high velo. Then the velo started dropping, and then he was hurt, and then he came back for the playoff game and was sitting 97, 98, 99 like he was early on. I I, I faded him. I did not – I'm too much of an injury risk. Now, that was the main reason. It wasn't a skill thing. It was just I did not trust his health. Didn't receive the qualifying offer, which to me was an even more damning outlook of his health by the team that had him the longest, invested the most in him. They didn't even give him one. But uh, his fastball velocity averaged 97.4, which was two miles per hour faster than last year and topped out at 99. Interesting. And then Max Scherzer, of course, for the Mets, went up against the Nationals, went six innings, uh, three runs allowed, gave up a home run to, I believe, Bell and somebody else. Uh, but that, that's kind of the, the person Max has become. Uh, he stays in the zone so much. He just attacks hitters that he's a low whip guy. He, he only gave up three hits all, all game with one walk. Um, but when he does get hit, he tends to get hit, you know, hard because he's going to attack you inside the zone, which an interesting thing from his game was it was the first time in 12 years that Max Scherzer did not get one swing and miss on a fastball. Wow. I thought that was interesting. Granted, it was his first start coming off the little hamstring issue that he was dealing with right at the end of spring last week and into this week, but he felt like he could still go out there and shove. And I mean, he went out there and threw a quality start. Like can't ask for more than that. Uh, Of course he had several delays um, with the benches clearing. Uh, There was a little bit of a delay at the beginning of the game uh, for a light outage. The, the lights did not turn on in the stadium. And of course I had to take to Twitter and I was like, I guess the nationals tried to defer the payments on their light bills too. <laughs> and I mean, but it was like a, a 15 minute delay. So pitchers are creatures of habit, you know, they're ready to do this from this time period, this, and then they're on the mound and they're pitching, but you know, he, had, he got through some adver- adverse, you know, conditions to really have a quality first start and to have it against his former team, the nationals, he said he was glad to just go ahead and get it out of the way. Yeah. Um, I thought, uh, yeah. I mean, they, people, pitchers are creatures of habit. I mean, ask, ask Garrett Cole. He got mad at Billy crystal. 
Uh, oh yeah, because they the the what is it? Their pregame ceremony took four minutes longer than it was supposed to, and he got really mad. Oh well, like I saw him, and he was on the top step, and he was like pointing and shit. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, yeah, how mad really they way? Yeah, like, and, then, <laughs> and then he and then in the press conference afterwards, he was like, yeah, that four minute delay really messed with me. I was like. <laughs> It's four minutes. It's four uh, minutes. What is the big deal? Like, I don't know. Maybe it's because I wasn't a pitcher. And we always used to make fun of pitchers because we're like, pitchers are such prima donnas. Because <laughs> they're such babies. And and you're not making it any better, Garrett Cole. Uh, uh, so, you know, look. Uh, and I think it's going to be real uh, even tougher on Max Scherzer with DeGrom going down. Um, you know, he's not getting any. he's not getting any younger. You can't keep relying on Max Scherzer to be the guy. You need to you need to start having somebody else with Max Scherzer take the pressure off of him, or Max Scherzer is going to go down too. Yeah, uh, so this and, be- and that's why I think it was very interesting to see how they did opening day because they could have moved up Scherzer or Bassett um, and thrown them on opening day, but they didn't, and they went with the the second year player Tyler McGill, and he went out and- there. And absolutely shoved. I mean, and this is a guy who wasn't even supposed to be on the opening day roster. He could have fit on our opening day sleepers because he wasn't supposed to be on the opening day lineup. The injuries right at the end of spring training opened things up for him. And he went out there in that first inning. And I can't even imagine because this is a guy who gets crazy extension on his pitches. So even when he's like throwing 94 to 95, it looks like 99, 100. And in that first inning, he went out there and it was just like every pitch that first inning was 99, 98, 99. And I'm like, holy hell. Like, I know it's adrenaline from starting opening day, but he also had, you know, a couple of high leverage situations where uh, Juan Soto came up with runners on base and two outs and he didn't give in and ended up striking him out 98 miles an hour up in the zone, got Soto to swing and miss. That doesn't happen much. Soto does not swing and miss much. Yeah. Uh, like you said, they can't rely on Max Scherzer. That's why I think it's so important that Tyler McGill and Chris Bassett last night had another great start. Um, how these other guys that aren't Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, how they help them out by just, you know, taking some of the load off. I mean, that, that's what they need them to do, and that's what they've done three games in. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it'll be really interesting to watch the Mets as it goes on. Um, and yeah, it, I, with the ground going down, it, it's a completely looking, it's a completely different looking uh, rotation, but you know, they still got some pieces. So it'll be really yeah. interesting to see how they go for the year. Uh, the guy that I'm going to talk about is again, you know, I don't think I've ever talked about the angels as much on a podcast in <laughs> my, my entire short podcasting tenure. Um, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go with another angel. The Angels have struggled against the Astros. They lost um, three to one in opening day. gave up uh, gave up eight hits. Um, it says here Otani was outstanding. I thought he was just, I thought he was just okay. Um, Framber Valdez looked looked really good. And then you, and then on Friday they lost thirteen to six. Um, so you know, again, pitching really let them down. That one, I think the bullpen especially really let them down. Um, I believe the angels have one of the highest bullpen ERAs at the moment. And then, uh, but then game three, all of a sudden you had the Astros going quiet with only two hits off the strength of Noah Syndergaard. But this was a weird and I all season long, all is from the moment he signed. I was upset that Noah Syndergaard signed with the angels. I'm like, We cannot keep pitchers on the field, but yeah, you're going to grab a guy who just coming off of surgery. What is the deal? Why are we signing Noah Syndergaard? He went out there spring training, looked, looked pretty good, was lights out against the Dodgers, did really well the last spring training game against the Dodgers. And then he proceeded to talk out of his ass and say they weren't afraid of the Dodgers lineup. That, 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 that wasn't true. That, that was a a satire account post. Uh, Yeah. The, the, the the vegan thing. Yeah. That was, that was not oh. said at all. Oh, that was well, not that's, said that's at all. Good. That makes me feel better. I was like, what are you so many so many people? I it's like I don't know. It, it's they they saw it on the internet, so it must be true. Right? I did it. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, so now in his Angels debut in in Angels debut, he gets squared up against Justin Verlander. 
I watched this game. It was so fun to watch. It was, it was, it was a fun game to watch, but you know what I thought was really interesting? Noah Syndergaard. We all know him as Noah Syndergaard, the guy that throws really hard fastball, strikes everybody out. Five and a third innings pitched, one strikeout. Yep. One strikeout, two walks. I was flabbergasted. I was like, what is going on? How, why is he not? How did he not strike more people out? I mean, you're looking at his baseball savant page. He only had a uh, 31.6 whiff percentage, um, or he had 31 point. Uh, 31.6 whiff percentage on 50% swing percentage. Um, it was just, I, I, it's for me anyway, it was such a weird start coming out of Noah Syndergaard. He had a, uh, a ground ball, a very high ground ball percentage. I believe it mm-hmm. was like 60 something percent ground balls. Um, he had a really high ground ball percentage and I don't know. It was just, it was just weird to watch. I mean, this year it looks like he's featuring a changeup stinker slider forcing fastball and a curveball yep um and it looks like what he got he got whiffs on his changeup and he got whiffs on his slider but you got um his sinker and his forcing fla- his forcing fastball only a whiff percentage of 16.7 percent on both of those so it was just really interesting to and i i think i've realized that um interesting is my new is my new favorite word when i when i podcast um but it was just i feel like it was such an out of the ordinary start for noah Syndergaard, but yet he's had the best start out of anybody on that angel staff yeah so this is gonna be i'm gonna try and keep it to like a few minutes but noah Syndergaard is a guy that for years for years and especially after you know he missed almost all of 2017 with the lat injury and so many mets fans oh he's a He's a thrower. He's not a pitcher. He just throws hard. And I kept telling him, you're all idiots. This guy has consistently posted one of the slowest walk rates in all of baseball. He doesn't walk, guys. He's an east-west. He's never been much of a the high four-seamer. Every time they tried to get him to throw the high four-seamer and get more swings and misses, it, it didn't work. He is a He was always a sinker-slider change guy, which is ironic because when he came up in the minors, he didn't throw a slider. He had a, a great curveball, which he threw a few yesterday, I believe. But that slider was something he picked up towards the end of 2015 in what led him into 2016 to have, you know, his breakout six war year. And he was throwing it at like 94 miles an hour. Uh, now his slider averaged about 84 miles an hour. It was down five miles an hour from his last yearly average. But that was across the board on all of his stuff. And we saw this in spring training, too. His velo was sitting around 94, 95, which is where it was last night. Noah Syndergaard can be successful throwing 95 sinkers because he has a plus-plus changeup. He has a plus slider. It used to be plus-plus, and it still maybe could be. But he's he's a pitcher. He gets weak contact, like you said. He gets a lot of ground balls. Uh, even before he was with the Angels, he had posted a 49.1 ground ball percentage, which I'm pretty sure was like top 10 among starters. You might find a good several relievers that are higher than that, but he's always been a weak contact guy. He needs a, a good defense behind him because how many times was he with the Mets uh, in 2019 that last year before he disappeared for two years? He had a four point, almost 4.3 ERA. His expected ERA that year? 3.3, his FIP, 3.6, and even his ex-FIP was 3.8. So they were all anywhere from half a run to an entire run lower than his actual ERA. He's a good pitcher, and he is now a pitcher everyone can say, oh, he he just he throws hard. He And if he can't throw hard, he's not going to be good. No, that this, this guy, he has all of the pitches. He knows how to work them onto the corners. Uh, with the movement, which is a great thing for him. Max Stasi is a great framing catcher. I think Noah Syndergaard will be fine. Uh, his K per nine for his career is only 9.68. I mean, that's barely over one per inning, but he's always posted above average K percentages uh, from like 24 to 27%. Uh, Noah Syndergaard is fine. It will be really exciting if any of that velo comes back. Really exciting. Yeah, I think, and if that velo does come back, that he, he doesn't need it, but that could really change things. Yeah, that changeup is going to be even more um, dangerous when it comes to 
if if he starts averaging his fastball back to 98 miles an hour like like it was in 2019. Um, I'm looking at his baseball savant sliders now, and it's so funny because I thought for sure that he was a high strikeout guy. I'm look. Oh well, this is 2022. Now that I'm looking at it. He's in the 22nd percentile in K percentage in 2022. I thought this was still 2019. Yeah, um, you, you can change it to 2019. He was 61st percentile. 2018, yeah. 61st again. I mean, he's never been a huge strikeout guy. He gets strikeouts, but he, he just faces like a small amount of hitters. And so really, that's why a lot of people will pick K percentage over K per nine. Because if you don't face a lot of guys, if you get a lot of quick outs and you don't want guys, you're going to have a lower K per nine because you're facing less batters. Yeah. But uh, he's a guy who I'm not terribly worried about, like whether he's throwing 95 or 100, he knows how to pitch. So right. I, I'm not too worried about him. I mean, you're look. I'm looking at it right now in uh, 2018 average exit velocity. He was in the 90. What is that? Get out of the way. He was in nine. He's in the 94 percentile. You yep. look at 2019. He's at the he's in the 91st percentile and his first start in 2022. He's already in the 83rd percentile. So he's is he, he does get a lot of weak contact. So maybe people like James Hannibode, who's in the who's in the comments saying he's always been high on Noah Syndergaard. Um you know, maybe, maybe there's something to Noah Syndergaard and maybe I'll have to eat my words at the end of the season and, and have to apologize to Noah Syndergaard for saying fuck <laughs> Noah Syndergaard. So. <laughs> hey, I will come through the screen. If you say that. <laughs> uh, anyway. All right. So we have looked at some new faces on new teams. We've looked at opening day sleepers. Um, Let's do let's have some fun and let's look at some uh, small sample size stats for 2022. So I was looking at it this morning and just had to chuckle because some of these stats are just off the charts and they're hilarious. Um, so I'm going to give you the fan graphs top 10 for weighted runs created plus. Oh, oh boy. And this, this is because like eight, basically everyone is a qualified hitter. Yeah. Everyone's a qualified hitter at this point. And the, the names on here is so funny. And the stats and the weighted runs created plus is so funny. I'll go from 10 to one. So number 10, Seattle's Ty France with a 328 weighted runs created plus. Hey, hey Ty France can hit. Yeah. He can. <laughs> Alex Verdugo is number nine with a three, uh, also 328 weighted runs created plus. You have Teoscar Hernandez who had, who had a, um, who had that comeback double for the Jays at 333 uh, uh, weighted runs created plus Gene Segura. People have been, been uh, people like Felipe have been bagging on Gene Segura, 343 weighted runs created plus your man. Steven Kwan is sixth with 349, <laughs> a 38% walk percentage and hasn't struck out once that can totally <laughs> last all year. Right. <laughs> right. Number five, Anthony Rizzo, 300, uh, 350 weighted runs created plus. Number four, Baltimore's Anthony Santander with 371. Here we go. Ready? Number three, Ian Happ <laughs> with 420. Number two, Reese Hoskins, 485. And number one, Nolan Arenado. Oh my God. Five, you, you said that. And Melvin, I think just creamed himself <laughs> with 506 weighted runs created. Plus <laughs> it's okay. Don't look Melvin. Don't look. We know <laughs> Nolan Arenado is not that good. We know it. Don't let Henry change our mind. <laughs> oh, I love that. So uh, did you see any weird uh, offensive stats that you want to talk about? Maybe somebody who's, uh, struggling or somebody who's on fire right now, or maybe a particular team who's, who's on fire or struggling. I think it's interesting that, you know, almost every team's played two or three games and there's only been 10 stolen bases in baseball. Yeah. Starling Marte attempted a stolen base opening day was thrown out by Kybert Ruiz, who has an absolute cannon, by the way. He does. But, um, the, uh, the 10 guys with stolen bases, you have Kyle Tucker, Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah. Luis Robert. Yeah. Jorge Mateo. Name to keep an eye on Jorge Mateo, the former Yankees Uber prospect. He had like 70 stolen bases one year. Um, he's in Baltimore now, and he's probably going to play every day. And even though he's in Baltimore, like 
he could have a Jonathan VR like season where he's really not that good offensively, but he might hit 15 home runs and steal 35 bases. Like could be, could be a league winner in five by five stuff. Uh, Manny Machado stealing a base, Dylan Carlson, Miles Straw, Jose Altuve, who we all thought was done stealing bases probably is uh, Tommy Pham and Jared Klenick. Only 10 stolen bases. And that's a, I thought interesting tidbit, but we'll see. Uh, I, I hate chasing stolen bases, and this is why. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I mean, Miles Straw stole a base on opening day, mm-hmm. and I was like, all right, Miles Straw's already paying off for me, stolen bases. <laughs> so um, the one thing that I thought was really interesting, I'm going to highlight one. I'm going to highlight one team because this team is not known for run production. I mean, we had a hashtag about it last year, hashtag free DeGrom. Um, the, the New York Mets are – right now listed as the third best team in terms of team weighted runs created plus. Um, And they are also, uh, they are first in team offensive war with 1.6 ahead of Houston, which is one point, which they're at a 1.2. I just thought that was uh, kind of fun to to look at because we don't really see, we're, we're used to the Mets not producing runs, but that lineup, you know, they, they added some offense to that lineup and it, and that, that the fabric of that offensive lineup may change a little bit and we may see some more run production. What do you think about the, I mean, you're a Mets fan yourself. Yeah. What do you think about the Mets offensive lineup? I, I think it's very, uh, they're playing all along. They brought in Starling Marte, Mark Canna, Eduardo Escobar. These are all guys that hit for varying degrees of batting average. Canna is like a, a 240 guy, but high on base. And for having a low average, he makes a good amount of contact. He doesn't strike out that much. Same thing with Starling Marte. Same thing with Eduardo Escobar. These guys, they don't strike out. They have bat-to-ball skills, which in the past few years, the Mets have had okay offensive teams. I mean, in the shortened COVID year, they had one of the best offenses in baseball. But they did not hit with runners in scoring position. There was a lot of swing and mess in those situations. And so far this year, uh, with men in scoring position, the Mets have, uh, yeah, men in scoring. They have 10 hits in three games with men in scoring position. Uh, I want to say last year that was more than in like an entire month. Um, might have been June. They only had like 10 or 11 hits with runners in scoring position. It was absolutely wild. But uh, this was the approach that they, they brought in guys that make contact in these positions that – when there are men on and the pitcher needs a strikeout, these guys are going to battle. And we've seen it from every guy so far. Mark Canna has a couple of uh, base hits with runners on. Starling Marte has like three. Uh, so good to see Robinson Cano, uh, him coming back into the lineup. He brings you a lot of the same stuff, doesn't strike out, <coughs> makes contact and puts the ball in play, which when you have men on, that, that that's what you have to do. That's what the good teams do. That's what Houston's done. Everyone talks about, oh, this – Houston became so good because they cheated or because they did crazy things with spin rates on pitchers like Garrett Cole and Charlie Morton. No, they brought in a bunch of guys that make contact. Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley, Yuli Gurriel. These are all guys that are contact masters, but can also drive the ball for power. And I think that's what the Mets were trying to copy here. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's, I want to flip it for a second. And I want to go to the bad teams, the bad offensive teams for the first few games of the season here. So when you, when you flip it and go to the lowest weighted runs created, plus you see some of the teams we expected to see the nationals are at 31 rated runs created. Plus Uh, the diamondbacks are the same, even though Seth beer hit a Homer on national (laughs) beer day. Um, The Royals are there. Um, The reds are there. Cleveland is at 47 weighted runs created plus and have scored one run. One run in the in the games that they've played no, so far. And, oh. and you know why they scored it? Granted, he probably would have been able to score it without the stolen base. But Miles Straw got on, stole second, and then Jose Ramirez hit a, a double to bring him in. But with Miles Straw's speed, he probably was going to score from first on a double. But yeah. uh, I thought that was interesting. Hey, yeah. st- hey, Stephen Kwan only has one game in the two-hole. Uh, they're going to score a bunch more runs with him in the two hole. <laughs> just, just because, just, of just because of Stephen Kwan. <laughs> and then we have uh, Oakland, Minnesota is down there as well. But the eighth lowest lineup, there are the eighth lowest weighted runs created plus the Los Angeles Dodgers. 
They're at 72 weighted runs created plus, uh, struggling at, at the beginning. And I believe they faced Colorado, didn't they? I think yeah. their first series was against Colorado. Um, so um, you've heard it right here on the Total Bases podcast. Colorado's beating LA in the in the uh, in the in the AL West this or the NL West this year. That's how. Uh, 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 yeah, I'm gonna take the <laughs> I'm gonna take the over on all of this. <laughs> Herman Marquez did have a good start for Colorado. Um, LA seems to they're all offensively, uh, not offensively, d- pitching wise. They struggle going into Colorado, and of course, it's every team struggles pitching in Colorado. But Los Angeles usually just has to like bully these guys when they go out there. They have to score like 15 runs. Um, but they they didn't do that yesterday. Uh, Tyler Alexander, uh, Tyler Alexander, who was a free agent, uh, and not Alexander Anderson. God, <laughs> he actually piggybacked in the start yesterday off of uh, Tony Gonsolin. Um, yeah, L.A., just let them get back to home. Once they get back to home, they're going to be, like, the best team in the world. Yeah. Uh, so uh, no, I, I know everyone was burn, like, what don't was burn that? your jerseys yet. Don't burn yeah, your jerseys. Yeah, yeah. Don't burn the jerseys. Don't burn the jerseys. <laughs> don't don't burn the Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner jerseys. They're, they're going to be just fine. Just <laughs> fine, guys. Because you need to tell Dodger fans that before they, before they start burning the dude. Oh, they suck this year. And then they burn it, you know. <laughs> uh anyway uh i think one thing uh you wanted to talk about i know we talked about it briefly was the toronto blue jays struggles um pitching so the toronto blue jays uh are struggling in terms of pitching right now they have um i believe they have one of the highest uh, yeah, uh where is it anyway yeah here it is they have the sixth highest era overall with a five and a half but when you go to starters <laughs> i thought this was funny when you go to, when you go to <laughs> the starters, way you said that i thought this was funny <laughs> i thought this was i thought this was hilarious um when you go to starters the uh toronto starters have a have the war the league worst 11.81 era um, there was but hey, they they got a, they got a five point one fit. They'll, they'll get better. They're gonna they're better. gonna do better. <laughs> get better. <laughs> Toronto fans, don't burn the jerseys yet. They'll be just fine. <laughs> Sorry, so, mate, we weren't gonna burn them. <laughs> uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, honestly, no, like Jose Barrios, I, I know a lot of Toronto fans. It, it was a smart deal to actually extend them after they gave up so much, and it wasn't a overpay in terms of money. I just don't think Jose Barrios is that caliber of pitcher to get that contract. But they went out, they got him, they got Gossman. But one, I'm not sure how I feel about Gossman in the AL East. Anytime a pitcher comes into the AL East, me and Felipe have talked about this for years now. I get nervous. Like when Ryu came to the American League East, I was like, yeah, not, not crazy about that. Yeah. Um, but Jose Barrios, I, I think, is not a one guy. And I mean, granted, Gossman could be their one, and Barrios is a, a good two. But I, I don't know. I, I think Jose Barrios. Every year we hype him up. Uh, he has great stuff. I mean, the the fastball velo is solid, you know, ninety four ish, and he's got the great breaking ball. But after so many years, it's like he's been in since twenty sixteen, and twenty seventeen was like his first full season as a starter. And from twenty seventeen to twenty twenty one, it's a 3.7 ERA, 3.79 FIP, XFIP slightly over four. I mean, that's a serviceable pitcher, but people talk about Jose Barrios like he's an ace. And yeah. I, I I don't think he is. I, I, I really don't. I think he's a good pitcher. I don't think he's an ace by any means. And now he's in an even harder division after spending all those years in the American League Central, which in those times were solid divisions, you know, with the Indians. But it's not the American League East. It, it's not. And last year, I, I don't think this is a move that is going to go how Toronto fans think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always tough with pitchers going into the AL with going into the AL East because you guys got to remember that's a murderer's row right now. I mean, you got the Yankees who um, have have a whole lot of thump, a whole lot of power. You have Anthony Rizzo and Giancarlo Stanton both with what is going Two on. With my, stop it. <laughs> For whatever reason, I don't know why ESPN thinks I want to w- watch videos right now. Um, <laughs> sorry about that, guys. Um, anyway, you have uh, Anthony Rizzo and Giancarlo Stanton already with two home runs. You got, I mean, 
Boston, I'm not expecting them to make very much noise in the AL East, but they still got some thump in that lineup. You have um, the Rays who, you know, they're all they're always a thorn in the side, you know, and then you also have Camden Yards. Yeah, I, mean, I, was you, right. I mean, they moved the fence back, but you still have to play or, you know, he's probably going to make one or two starts there. Yeah. And you then still, you're, I mean, you you know, and those starts that. add up. And, yeah. and granted, I, I think they said that Toronto started using a humidor, so it's a little less hitter friendly. Uh, I think all stadiums are supposed to be using it this year, something like that. Um, but even then, like it's one part, the, the fields you have to pitch in, in the American league East and the ball and the ballparks. And it's another thing is just the lineups are good. Yeah. I mean, and even Baltimore has power guys, Anthony Santander, Trey Mancini, like these guys can drive the ball out. And, uh, I don't know. And I, obviously Jose Barrios just had a blow up start. I mean, he didn't get out of the first. And when you see stuff like that, it's like, okay, something just wasn't right. But then Kevin Gossman went out there and Texas has, we, we just talked about Texas's offense. They're a good offense with Corey, like, with Corey Seager and Simeon, but Simeon didn't really do much. Yeah. I mean, so I don't, I, I think Toronto, they're going to go as far as that pitching allows them to go, allows the offense to go. Because obviously right. the offense is awesome. Yeah. Uh, when they came back from 7-0, I was like, what? <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah the, the pitching or the team's only going to go as far as the pitching allows the offense to go. Yep. And, I mean, I, I was just going to say, I mean, despite the pitching struggles, they're still 2-0. I mean, they they beat yeah. the Rangers ten to eight, and that they came back down from seven zero one ten to eight in their in their uh, home opener after not being at home for the last couple of years, and then the and then the following day they come in and beat the Rangers four to three. So I mean, they're going to be. I mean, they're still two and L despite the pitching struggles. They're still they've still won both their games. I think they're going to be another one. They're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, so you know, and they they will conclude the. Um, the lineup or the they'll conclude the series today um, with Spencer Howard going up against Hyunjin Ryu. Um, Which should, and- I, I like that matchup. I like Spencer Howard. I like Ryu. I, I feel like Ryu is going to have at least one year in this contract where he's like the two and a half ERA guy. And yeah. then the rest, he's just going to be the four ERA saw tossing lefty, which mm-hmm. is has value, but he got paid a lot of money. So. And uh, with the conclusion of some of these series that are coming, these opening series and the conclusion of the opening series of the MLB season, we're going to conclude this show for today. Uh, Sean, do you have any parting words, any last things to say before we, uh, before we sign off here? If you're a fan of a team that's about to get swept, I hope you guys win. Unless you're the Nationals, then I hope we sweep you. If you're a team that is about to get a sweep, then I hope you win. If you're a team that's just trying to not you know, just get a win, get, get in the win column. I hope you win. <laughs> and that's that's going to be it. Everybody wins. Everybody gets a participation trophy. Everybody sweeps. Nobody gets swept. That's 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 how everybody sweeps. Nobody gets swept. I like yeah. that. That's a good line. <laughs> that sounds like a lyric to like a baseball rap. <laughs> <laughs> uh anyway this has been the total bases uh, this has been the total paces po- podcast remember to look for us on spotify apple podcast stitcher and anywhere else you are listening to the um the the podcast you can find us on the baseball life facebook group you can find me on twitter at round underscore trippers because i have another podcast called the round trippers uh, podcast where I have multiple guests on. Um, I've had a number of guests from the Baseball Life Facebook group, so you can go ahead and check me out there. Sean, where where can they find you on Twitter? You can also find me in the Baseball Life Facebook group, and you can also find me at Twitter um, at Sean Flannery thirteen. Um, I'm pretty active over there, so if you want to go a couple of rounds in the Twitterverse, the the cesspool that is Twitterverse, uh, <laughs> come at me. <laughs> right. Come at me, bro. Yeah. I, I wanted to say bro, but I was like, no, nah, that's too much. That's too much. <laughs> I'm from California. Bro is in the language here. <laughs> All right. So for my friend, Sean Flannery, I am Austin Spiro. You've been listening to the Total Bases podcast. And until next time, have a good one, everybody. Adios, guys.